Welcome back to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. The summer of 2020 was unexpectedly busy from a baseball perspective with plenty of showcase events and scouting opportunities for high school and college prospects around New England. We've tried to provide our audience stories about those events on our website at baseballjournal.com. You can also track the latest college commitments for the class of 2021 and class of 2022 on baseballjournal.com. Our first guest was one of the summer's top performers at the Elite Showcase events for incoming high school seniors. Northeastern commit Dennis Colloran, a North Attleboro senior, impressed scouts with a 96-mile-an-hour fastball at events like the Area Code Games, East Coast Pro Showcase, and Summer Rivalry Classic. Dennis will share with listeners how he managed to stay in peak form through the stoppage during the spring. Our second guest is UMass Lowell baseball coach Ken Herring. One of 19 Division I coaches in New England, Herring talks about how the fall will look on the UMass Lowell campus and what he's doing to stay connected to his players during the remote learning period. For coverage of pro and college prospects, recruiting commitments, and prep baseball, visit New England Baseball Journal's website at baseballjournal.com. Now let's get right to the interview with Dennis Colloran. One of the most impressive players on the Elite Showcase circuit for high school seniors this summer was Dennis Colloran Jr., a right-handed pitcher for North Attleboro High School in Massachusetts. Dennis pitched for the Northeast Regional Team at the Area Code Games, East Coast Pro Showcase, and the Summer Rivalry Classic. His fastball velocity peaked in the mid to high 90s. This Northeastern University commit is New England's top pitching prospect in the class of 2021. Dennis, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Well, uh, it's interesting that uh, the summer went so well for you um, because, you know, going into the summer, I didn't know what to expect. I talked to some of the guys uh, who had coached the Area Code games, including Matt Hyde, uh, who's going to be a guest on this podcast as well. And, he, you know, early in the summer in May, June, they really weren't sure about how many of these things they would be able to put in place because some of them are typically out in California where the virus numbers weren't doing too well. Yeah, another one's in Alabama. So they didn't know how that would work in terms of travel. What were your expectations heading into the summer, and did did it end up surpassing your expectations? Um, I was very uncertain about anything that was going to if we were going to have anything. Um, it was I was coming in very hopeful. You know, I wanted to play as many games as I could, but obviously. Um, some of some of the other states around us were starting up, but then a couple of weeks into their season, they were stopping because uh, the government just decided they didn't want to have any uh, people out uh, near each other. But I was expecting uh, to uh, all to at least get through the entire season. I didn't think uh, anything was going to get canceled because. Well, our organization, we're super careful. Um, our coaches made sure that we were wearing masks, masks the entire time. And for my travel team and also at Area Code and East Coast Pro, we made sure we were staying apart when we weren't on the field and all that. So I, if anything was going to cancel, it wasn't going to be because of our teams. But I would say... Um, also, I was expecting everyone else on my 
team to get out there and to, I was expecting everyone to be super like amped up, but uh, we, uh, I quickly realized that, um, it wasn't, everyone wasn't, we hadn't played games since August of last year. So we hadn't, um, had a lot of practice or any game experience at all. So everyone took a little bit of time to get back ready on the field, but it was, um, once we got going, I would say the season was a lot better than I thought it was ever going to be because it was just, everyone realized that at any moment the season could get canceled for any reason. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was, and I, I, with the few games I got out to, I got to a few of the area code games tryouts and, um, you know, some of those events where to see you pitch and it did look like guys were playing it pretty safe and they were, um, you know, keeping their distance, wearing masks when they weren't out on the field. So it did look like a pretty safe way to go. Um, what was what was the spring like for you after everything came to a halt in March? Like, how did you stay in shape and stay, keep yourself ready to pitch? Because I remember, you know, right in the early June, I think you were hitting ninety six on the on the radar gun. How did you how did you stay in shape so that you were able to do that? Well, I'm very fortunate where my older sister, right when we were finishing our basement, she was a pitcher, so we finished our basement so that you could throw in it. Um, so what I basically did is I continued my winter workouts. I just continued them through the spring with just higher reps and all that. And me and my dad, we would go out to the field whenever we could. It was kind of tough because some of the fields were closed, but I was at, during the quarantine, I was trying to get at least two outdoor bullpens a week, um, which I was able to pretty much maintain that. But, um, yeah, I was pretty much just continuing what I was doing over the winter, just through the spring, but, um, just, uh, with higher, higher reps so that I was, I was more game ready unless it was going to be like the start of spring where you're still, still, uh, getting, getting into it and all that. And now, so when you say you got your basement ready, is that like strength and conditioning equipment or, or you're actually pitching in your basement? I was doing um, like throwing, I was able to do throwing workouts. So I wasn't able to throw off a mountain. Hence why I would go out to the um, fields whenever I could, but I was able to do my weighted ball programs. Um, and I have, I have a few weight sets, so I was able to maintain my strengths. Uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't completely shut down. I feel like some other people, like some other people were. Yeah. One other nice thing that you had going for you going into the spring, and I know this wasn't the case for all juniors or, you know, class of 2021 guys, is you had already committed to Northeastern before the start of that uh, what was your, what was the recruiting process like for you, and how did you decide on Northeastern? Uh, North, I chose Northeastern for a few reasons. Um, it's a train right away, so if I ever wanted to come home, it's right there. Um, I'm very into robotics and engineering, and Northeastern's an incredibly good robotics school, so I'm hoping to go into that when I hopefully attend there. Um, 
And also my father, he went to there to get his MBA. So he, I was able to get a lot of information from him. Um, and it was one of those things where everything just, it was everything that I had wanted with how the campus life works, uh, the baseball team itself, having a super great school, not being too far from home. Um, and obviously the coaching staff being incredible. Um, but the recruiting process, I started very early because when I was freshman year going into sophomore year, I attended a perfect game um, tournament and I happened to hit 88 down there. So that kind of sprung me into the light because before then I had, I was talking to nobody and out of nowhere, I was just, I was getting a lot of calls at talking to a lot of colleges and starting to do those visits and all of that to figure out who I could who I, what my best fit was. And now I, I would imagine there's a lot of, you know, high school level or even below that baseball players listening to this, like, oh man, how do you go? How do you all of a sudden hit 88 and how do, or, you know, how do you get up to 96 this summer or maybe even 97? I'm not sure what you topped that up, but yeah, how, 97. How, 97. Uh, <laughs> what is the, what, is, if you could give, you know, one or two pieces of advice on how to, add velocity you know everybody listening is like you know what, what is it build leg strength or you know arm flexibility or what what are, what are the things you can do to add velocity my biggest thing is being very flexible in terms of your legs arms core all of it has to be flexible but it also has to be um strong and compact in the sense that like you have control over your body um also, the biggest thing with me that when I started seeing big jumps in velocity, it was because I had a dedicated pitching program where I was doing something every single day and I was maintaining it through the baseball season. And I was, uh, it, I have, I've talked to dozens of pitching coaches gone to many lectures and I've just taken little things from all of that and I pieced together something that works really well for me. Yeah, that's the key. I mean, I talked to, um, there was a guy, Tyler Beatty, who was a Massachusetts guy who ended up, um, do he went to Vanderbilt and now he's with the San Francisco giants and his, he was a high velocity guy, you know, back in high school, even he was in the nineties and, uh, Vanderbilt, it was kind of mid to high nineties. So, and I was talking to him throughout his minor league career. And I remember there was a point where he said, you know, I, I think I read a headline that he had hit 99 or 100 on a radar gun. Wow. And so I called him and I was all excited, like, Hey, Tyler, that's amazing. Like, can you believe you hit 99 or a hundred? And he was like, you know, it was, it's been kind of a slow build over the years to get up to 99 or a hundred, but he was in AAA at the time. And he was like, you know, when you get to triple A, if you're throwing 99, but you're not able to command it and pick your spots, like it doesn't matter. Guys are going to crush that. Exactly. And he was like, so for me, you know, I don't want to hit 99 on the radar gun just to hit it because uh, that's probably I'm probably not commanding that pitch. I probably don't have control over it. And he's like, you know, I'm he's like, I might have done it, you know, get two strikes on a batter and you're really kind of ramping it up to punch him out. But he's like, you know, if it's 
uh, you know, regular game, oh, zero, you know, leadoff batter of the first inning. He's like, I'm probably between 94 and 96, and that's where he wants to be to command his pitch. How do you, especially when you're, you had a summer like you just did where it's, there's so many scouts, you know, when I went to, when I'd go to those area code games, you'd see all the radar guns behind home plate and you kind of have to juggle like these guys want to see 96, 97 on the radar gun and be like, wow, there he is. He's a pro prospect. But you also have to stay within yourself and be like, look, if I'm throwing 96 and getting rocked out here because I can't command it, that's not going to help me. Uh, how, do, how do you juggle that between trying to hit the high velocity numbers and also try to kind of command your pitches? It's very tempting with all those rears behind there to just rear back. And even you don't care where it goes. You just want to see the number. But um, it's always been an important thing with me. Um, my dad's always taught me that location, being able to locate the ball is top priority. Speed and having a breaking pitch is what will come after. But if you can't locate the ball, it doesn't matter if you're throwing 75 or 105 because it's going to be a ball because the biggest thing is you have to, you have to get strikes. You have to get outs and throwing 99, a hundred. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't guarantee you're going to be producing outs if it's, you know, 10 feet over the batter's head. So it's always been something that I, it's always my top priority to make sure I'm able to spot the ball, ball low in, low out, high in at the hands and all of that. Yeah. Was your dad a pitcher? No, he was, I never played a single inning of baseball in his life. He was actually a hockey player. No, oh, wow. Do you, do you play hockey or did you play hockey growing up? <laughs> I did not. Um, I just never, never got into it. I was always a baseball person. Well, good for him for embracing a different sport. And it sounds like he's a pretty good uh, mentor and coach to you for, for through your development. Now, was baseball something that always came naturally to you? Like, were you the best in your little league at, you know, eight, nine, ten years old? Um, I was always able to throw the ball a little bit harder than the rest of people, but I was, wasn't always the um, the best out there. There was always a few kids that would um, see more playing time, either because their dad was the coach or this or this or that. But I was always, I've, I wasn't always fighting for a spot, but I haven't always been um, in the spotlight, so to say, mm-hmm. where. Uh, when I was younger, it wasn't, I wasn't always on the A team. Um, I was put on the B team one, I think it was one time and I didn't see it as, oh, this means that, uh, it's always going to be, going to be downhill from here. I saw it as, well, the people on the A team the coaches there made a mistake and I have to prove it, prove to them that I'm, I'm, I deserve to be on the A team. So it's always been the thing to motivate me. Even uh, with my travel team, um, I wasn't from 13U to 15U. I was on the blue team, not the Northeast team, which is the team quote unquote below. I mean, we're pretty much, we're on the same skill level, but um, it was, it was always something to keep, keep me going where I have to prove that I'm, 
I deserve to be on the team above. And now that I'm kind of always on the team above, it's now I have to be the number one pitcher on this team above, or I have to work to be better than the next guy above me. And even if I'm, if there's no one above me, I have to work so that the person below me can never catch up. Yeah, that's a good attitude to have. Now, when you say work, I, it sounds like you're doing quite a bit. What, what travel team are you on? I was on the Northeast GBG Hawks. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, when you when you were talking about the work, obviously you're doing it at home. You've got the setup in your basement. You're doing it with your dad. You're, you've got the travel team. Are there other things you do in terms of maybe like nutrition, diet, um, you know, strength training, stuff like that, that, that have helped you along the way? Well, I used to wrestle, so that's that kind of helped me with uh, learning how to keep nutrition, like keeping a good diet in the sense of like if if you skip a meal or if you're snacking through the day, you're going to be gaining unnecessary weight because uh, I, <laughs> I was sophomore year. I was 210 pounds but it wasn't, it wasn't um, necessarily all muscle. And I, I was working for a varsity spot at 195 pounds. So I had to cut down to that while still maintaining muscle. And so that it helped me. I've uh, become a much better um, omelet and egg cooker because of it. Um, but I just, I try to, eat a lot of protein. Um, now I don't play wrestling. I don't wrestle anymore. So I don't have to worry about staying at a certain weight, but, um, I just, I'll eat whatever's in front of me. Um, I, I don't go out of my way to, uh, to, uh, eat sugary foods. Uh, if, if it's given to me, then sure I'll have it, but it's, um, you just, you can't, uh, be skipping meals and you, ha- you just have to eat. Yeah, that makes sense. I wanted to ask, uh, what's the setup at North Attleboro? Are you doing uh, in-person learning? Or are you doing remote this fall or what's, what's the, uh, uh, we're doing half and half. So eighth through L for our last names, we're going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we have off. And then Thursday, Friday is everyone else. So, We'll do in person. I'm I'm going to be in person Monday, Tuesday, and then everything's going to be virtual Thursday, Friday, and Wednesday is. Uh, I think it's just everyone is doing homework those days. Everything's yeah. going to be virtual. It's funny because uh, when I was in high school, you know, I can remember like rooting for snow days and holidays, and <laughs> you know, you wanted to be out of school, but um. You know, now I have kids. Uh, they're they're younger, but they're they're at an age where you know I you know we just kind of broke the news to them. Hey, this fall it's going to be remote learning, and they're you know they are upset because they want to see their friends. And the last few months yeah. haven't been great for them because we haven't done a lot of that. What uh, are you upset that that's what your senior year is going to look like? Like you, you did you want to go five days a week, or is two and two and one day off okay for you? I want to be in school as much as possible because I feel like that gives us a better chance of having uh, sports in, in the spring. But 
two days a week is much better than no days a week. So it's, I just hope as the year goes on, we're more and more in school rather than less and less in school. So as of now, it's fine. I, I don't know how it's going to be. It's, a, it's brand new for me. So I'm, sh I'm sure I'll make it work, but anything more in person is what I would, what I would prefer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I hope that I hope everything gets back to normal too. Well, uh, Dennis, I give you credit for uh, keeping yourself in top form and have it, you know, pushing through all this stuff that all the distractions and, uh, um, you know, setbacks that, that that have been offered to you over the last six months and everyone else. But it seemed like you had a great summer considering everything that was being thrown at you. So congratulations on that. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey everyone, if you're just discovering New England Baseball Journal through our podcast, be sure to check us out online at BaseballJournal.com, where you'll find daily content on the New England baseball scene with in-depth coverage on preps, high school, the youth game, college baseball, MLB draft, college commitments, the minors, summer leagues, and the pros, and a whole lot more. Right now, you can get an all-access plan, which includes unlimited access to our daily website, Plus, every issue of our print magazine delivered to your home, office, dorm, or clubhouse for only $99.99 per year. It's simple. Just log on to BaseballJournal.com and click on the subscribe button to find the subscription that's right for you. And get in the game with New England Baseball Journal. It's time to go around the diamond for a look at news items and nuggets from the New England baseball scene. For more insight on any of these news items, visit BaseballJournal.com. While the pandemic has certainly changed the landscape of college recruiting, many NCAA coaches are still securing verbal commitments. The latest round of commitments came in or shortly after September 1st. We account for 132 college commitments for players in the class of 2021 on BaseballJournal.com. That class is headlined by Vanderbilt commit Josh Baez of Dexter Southfield and Duke commit Jonathan Santucci of Phillips Andover. Our list of 2022 commitments is currently 41 names long. To check any of those commitments in the class headlined by Virginia commit Evan Blanco of Austin Prep and Stanford commit Matt Scott of Joel Barlow High School in Connecticut, you can visit BaseballJournal.com. The area's top college and high school prospects capped the summer by competing in the Summer Rivalry Classic at Dunkin' Donuts Park in Hartford, Connecticut. Some of the standouts from that game included Quinnipiac catcher Colton Bender and UMass Dartmouth pitcher Nate Tellier, who ended up signing with the Red Sox as an undrafted free agent a few days later. For more on any of these stories, visit BaseballJournal.com. Ken Herring has been the head coach of the UMass Lowell baseball team for 15 years. He's led the Riverhawks to four NCAA tournament bids and a record of 373, 306, and 1. Welcome to the podcast, Ken. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining. I know it's a tough time for college coaches, especially at, uh, in the UMass system with uh, teams not practicing right now. Why haven't you been back to practice yet? Well, it was uh, you know a decision made at a, a heck of a lot higher level than mine to not have... Um, anybody but our winter sports back um they're trying to keep the athletes safe 
Um, so right now, currently on campus, it's men's and women's basketball and, and ice hockey. And uh, I think, as we all know, if if NCAA basketball doesn't happen this winter, I think we're probably all in trouble because that's the, the big funder of all of our sports and uh, it funds the NCAA. So we're hopeful that uh, we can get through any glitches that the men's and women's basketball and hockey teams can get through and, and, and start focusing on the spring. But, uh, you know, we've been active with our players, you know, via this platform, via zoom and, uh, you know, having constant conversations and they've been getting out there on their own to get their work in. So that we got to trust them that, uh, that they're going to get the work done needed to win a championship. Yeah, it's a frustrating time for NCAA athletics. Uh, f- the fall season is in jeopardy in some conferences, whereas others, are, uh, bigger conferences, are playing and already getting started. So it's a mixed bag, and it seems like the New England schools are coming back a little bit slower than in other parts of the country, which is weird because, you know, this summer I went to a lot of Futures League games and area code game tryouts and East Coast Pro showcase tryouts and things like that and it seemed like we pulled it off pretty safely um would you be able do you you feel like uh, from your perspective at UMass Lowell would you be able to come back in a safe way if you were to get permission from the school I mean obviously I think we can we're the one sport where I mean you could be 50 feet from everybody and and get your work in um you know we feel I feel that we could do it in a safe manner and baseball is different than than some of these other sports where you're in their face defensively. And uh, we can certainly make some adjustments uh, with, with the way we go about our practice. If it meant smaller groups, then we, I think it's just important that we try to get some face time with our players, uh, especially our young guys who can kind of hear our philosophies and hear how we talk and hear what our expectations are and, and see it in person instead of hearing it over a phone or through a piece of paper. So um I know the school's working hard to try to get to that, get us back to that point. Uh, I know our administration is frustrated, uh, and they're doing everything in their power to try to get us back on the field as soon as possible, so we can get that that precious face time that uh, I think we're all craving with our with our players. Yeah, that's important. I was talking to UConn coach Jim Penders uh, last week, and he was saying the summer was frustrating for him because there was a Futures League team in New Britain right down the road from him, but by NCAA rule, he wasn't, he wasn't supposed to or he wasn't allowed to go watch his players um, after not being able to see him for the entire spring, but he wasn't able to go watch them play this summer because there was an NCAA rule and they were worried if there was anybody playing in the game that was in the NCAA transfer portal, uh, you know, it could per- be perceived as scouting. So Coach Penders followed the rules, but after missing the spring, he really wanted to get out and support his players. What was the experience like for you this summer? Well, I was uh, lucky enough. My son is uh, a rising sophomore, uh, and being a dad, I'm allowed to go watch him play. Uh, there was also an NCAA rule that allows you to coach a travel team or a team as long as all the players on the team are from within 50 miles of your campus. So I actually coached a team. Uh, a 15 U team. So I got to coach against some pretty good teams and I did get to see some players, but uh, I tried to take advantage as much as much I could of, of that NCAA. I don't know if it's called the loophole or what, but uh, uh, I was on a couple different coaching staffs and as, and I did see a bunch of my colleagues out there uh, that took advantage of that opportunity. So uh, I did get out there and see some games, uh, you know, because of that loophole. And obviously the more games and, different teams my son played on I had the opportunity to go watch him so uh, 
Um, so I took advantage of it. Was it the normal? No, by any not by any stretch. Uh, it was all pretty much local games. Uh, never. Uh, he played in one tournament down in New Jersey in late August, so I did go down there with him and, and watched him play. But uh, I had to, you know, keep my eyes on his game. Wow. Would you normally be able to coach him, or was that a perk from the pandemic? I mean, it's the first time. Usually in the summer, um, you know, I do see some of his games, especially now that he's at the high school age. But it wouldn't have been at this. I wouldn't have been able to see pretty much every single game he played this summer. So, um. I guess if you're going to look at something in a positive light, uh, having the opportunity to watch him play, you know, consistently was definitely a joy of mine. And uh, I tried not to take that for granted at any yet. Uh, anyway, yeah. so uh, it was great to see him play. Yeah. And who knows when you'll be able to do something like that again. What would the fall season normally look like for you? Is there a chance you might have some semblance of that? I mean, normally my our normal fall is we, we'd be back. We, we start classes the Tuesday after Wednesday after Labor Day. So uh, we'd get them ac- have our first you know compliance meeting and get them acclimated to get all their uh, paperwork done with athletic health care. And usually two days in, we start our lifts with our strength and conditioning uh, staff. And on that first Saturday, we would probably have our first practice. And uh, we, we've done it a couple of ways where we've done more of our individual work in the beginning and save team stuff for the back end. But we're trying to we, the last couple of years, we've tried to take advantage of the better weather and take care of our 45 days of our normal practice prior to the cold weather. So we'd be in full. We'd be getting ready to inter squad this weekend. Uh, actually, this past uh, we, uh, this coming weekend, we'd be going to Cooperstown. We were supposed to go to Cooperstown and play Monroe Community College. So uh, a little disappointed in that. But, you know, we'd be we'd be inner squatting three or four times a week, and then we'd be playing our two or three games against, you know, uh, either junior colleges or other D1 programs in the area. Yeah, it's a bummer. I remember meeting you back when I was working up in Newburyport for a newspaper and just covering local high school sports up there. And you used to turn up at a lot of games and uh, to get looks at players. And uh, it was a really exciting time at UMass Lowell because you were starting to make that transition from Division Two to Division One. I. I did a story earlier this spring ranking the rec- reclu- re- excuse me, recruiting classes around New England. And of the 19 Division One teams, I think I had you ranked fourth. How has recruiting changed now that you're a Division One program, and are you still making those trips up to Newburyport and other Massachusetts towns? Well, I mean, I live in Amesbury, so it was awful close. So um, it's, but uh, I, I mean, I try. We try. Our philosophy is we're trying to keep the best players home, and we're a state institution. So you know, our home area is the Merrimack Valley, up through Cape Ann, uh, up to Portsmouth, through Manchester, out to Worcester. We think if we can try to keep the, the best players in that region home. We're doing a pretty good. We're doing a pretty good thing. I think as the D1 uh, has evolved and we've been more involved, and now we're eligible for the postseason and didn't have to convince anybody to come and sit a couple of years for the postseason. Uh, we've definitely had more success. I think if you look at our last couple of recruiting classes, we are getting more and more homegrown players, and uh, that is the goal: is to try to keep the best players home and try to get pieces from from the region and even some from outside the region, but. We've gotten more big name, quote unquote, big name players, um, and we're excited about where we're where we are. But we have not even come close to achieving the goals that we have set for our program. That's for sure. Yeah, I've heard a lot of weird NCAA rules and restrictions, but that was the one I never understood. 
if you go from Division Two to Division One, you would think you'd reward the schools for wanting to be more competitive, and you know that school is going to take their lumps when they initially get into the Division One level. Plus, you have to replenish the roster with Division One quality prospects, and you don't have you don't want to use all your scholarships all at once in that first recruiting class. Do you think that's a bad rule? I mean, obviously, selfishly, yeah. I mean, I thought it was kind of a crazy rule. Uh, I'm still waiting for someone to justify and explain it to me where it would make sense. But uh, we knew going in that that was, you know, we knew a year prior that that was what was going to happen. So it wasn't like it was something that we didn't didn't know. But uh, you can sit there and complain about it, or you can just sit there and try to go to work and get the best players that are going to fit your program for the time for the for the moment in time that your program is evolving. And uh, we felt we did a pretty good job of of filling a roster with some really good players and being very competitive right off the bat. Yeah, and you definitely have been competitive in America East, and you've had guys get drafted and start pro careers over the last few years. Right now, obviously, it's a strange time for professional baseball with minor league baseball on hold and the drafts being shortened. Uh, what are you hearing from your former players in terms of whether they'll continue their pursuit of making a big league roster? Well, I've got a current big leaguer, Danny Mendick, who's got over 100 ABs in the major leagues this year with the White Sox. Wow. Um, he, he's been he When Nick Magical was hurt, he got a bunch of starts, and he's got three or four homers in the major leagues right now. So uh, that's been awesome to watch, uh, watch him with the White Sox there in first place, which is also awesome. So, yeah. uh, but the other one, the next one in line is Chris Sharp. He's with the Pirates. I think he's got a chance to be a big leaguer. I mean, he's was probably, he was slotted for triple A this year. Um, and you know, he was a 14th rounder out of, out of, out of UMass Lowell, but he got third round money. So it shows you what the Pirates thought of him. So, uh, he, I think he's the next in line that'll get uh, hopefully get an opportunity to play in the major leagues. And then right now active is Nick Kuja. Nick is a Padre. Um, he's going to be jumping into his fourth year, but his velocity's jumped where he's posted some videos. He's over a hundred miles an hour now. So I think the Padres have high hopes for him. Uh, but those are our three, you know, our three current guys that are playing, uh, but we've had six or seven since we made the jump. So right. uh, we're pretty proud of that, but I think there's more to come. Yeah, I saw Cam Klimo this summer in the Futures League playing for North Shore. He had a great summer. He hit for power in a really competitive summer league, and he definitely looks the part. Could he be a guy that makes the jump to professional baseball? Well, obviously Cam, I mean, if you look at him, uh, you just look at his body, just he looks like a major league baseball player in a baseball uniform. Uh, he's got great power. Uh, he's really, you know, his, his strikeouts were the issue with him early on, but he's he's learning to use more of the baseball field. He's a dead pull hitter, but he's obviously a big key to us. He hurt his, he broke his handmate bone the third game of the season this spring. And when he's in our lineup, it just lengthens it. Uh, there is, you know, people are, you know, definitely get to their seats when he's hitting because you never know how far he's going to hit a baseball. So, but he's obviously a big key. Uh, you know, Vinnie Martin was off to a phenomenal start for us this past spring, hitting about 450, you know, playing against, some of the big boys of college baseball. So we're interested to see what he does in a full season. Joey Castellanos, who's a, he's a legit three hitter at the division one level was off to a good start. So uh, he's going to be a big key for us this spring and on the mound, Henry Fanaro, who's, you know, we were ready to put him in the bullpen where I think he belongs and he's got, 
stuff that can play at the major league level. And uh, we think in short spurts, uh, as a reliever, one or two innings, he can really show his velocity and how good his slider is. So, um, and then uh, the other one is Matt Draper. You know, these are two local Lowell guys. Matt Draper transferred in from Quinnipiac, had a big outing against uh, LSU this spring, and we where he left the game with a four three lead. Uh, and so we think that uh, you know where we're at right now, and those guys, those guys are going to be keys. And I think all of them have the ability to play at the next level. And and then lastly is our number one, our John Palachetti from you know went to Pinkerton Academy. He was recovering from Tommy John surgery, so he was going one inning at a time. But we're looking forward to see what he can bring to the table this spring, uh, you know, throwing as a starter, you know, taking us deep in games through this pitch efficiency. Ken, as you know, I actually live in Lowell, and I get to a few games at Lalatcher Park each year. I love taking the kids to spinners games and to get them exposed to the sport without having to trek into Boston and worry about parking and everything else. It seems like the spinners' days are numbered with maybe one more season before they end up on the chopping block. What do you think will happen with the spinners in Lasher Park? It's obviously a, an interesting situation. It's strange. Uh, I feel for everyone with the spinners. We've obviously got a very good relationship with Sean Smith and his staff. Um, he's extremely helpful. We we are partners in this uh, in the baseball world, and you know the. There's times when we do overlap in terms of our seasons, and it's usually it's only usually in the fall for that first first week. But he's very accommodating. He's very helpful. Uh, he's just very good to my guys, and you know, I just don't know. And uh, I, you know, every day that I talk to him, something different you know, can come up. Uh, I'm not really sure where they're at uh, in terms of uh, in terms of are they coming back? I know that they were originally on the chopping block, but. It wouldn't surprise me if they figured out a way to keep a team here in Lowell. And uh, uh, but right now, I, I I'm kind of in the dark on where they're at. But it would be definitely a different situation. And what would the city owns the stadium, so I have no idea how that would work from there. Yeah, that's too bad. It's a great way to catch a game with kids. They have a kids area, uh, play area out in left field, so we always watch a few innings, and then when the kids have had their fill, we take them out to, and they'll they'll play games and go on rides for a little while. So that would be a big loss for the Lowell community, but it's been that kind of year uh, for baseball. When you think of the pandemic, it seems like coaches have made so many adjustments to the way they coach. One thing you mentioned earlier is the Zoom conferences. Is that something that you think might stick after the pandemic, or will you get so tired of it you'll you'll go back to the face-to-face in-person meetings? I mean, I don't know how quickly it's going to get back to the way things were. I think the, the platform of Zoom is very useful. Um, Am I sick of it? Yeah, I'm pretty sick of it. But, uh, you know, I, I like, you know, my players, I like being around them, you know, uh, and seeing them on a daily basis. And every time we have a Zoom, I tell them I miss them because I do. I mean, you're used to being around a group of guys from September to June. And you know, it ended that that Thursday, March 12th. And, you know, it'll be one of those days that you never forget. And it was emotional. And you put your blood, sweat, and tears into something, and it gets yanked away from you. And, and and I think the biggest thing for us, all of us coaches, is we're used to being in control. And I feel like we have no control right now. And, you know, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. How far away is that light? I'm not really sure right now. So I just think that uh, will I use some of the stuff? Yeah. Zoom will always be a part of who we are right now. I, um, I wish I had some stock in Zoom prior to this whole thing going on. But um, we'll move forward from here. That's for sure. 
What are your kids doing for school this year? Are they remote or in person? Uh, my daughter's a freshman at University of Del- or a sophomore at University of Delaware. Laura been out down there, and she is fully remote um, with five roommates. Um, and then my son is fully remote to start the year at Amesbury. So I know that they're working hard to try to get to some kind of hybrid plan because I think uh, you know right now as of uh, this week there was no active cases in our town. So hopefully. Uh, that's good news. Yeah, I drove by Andover High School the other day, and they have a big tent set up uh, out by the football field for in-person learning that they can do outside. And that seemed like a good idea to me. My kids are doing remote learning this spring, which I'm not too excited about, and hopefully that'll change at some point. But, Ken, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I hope you're able to get back to normal sometime soon, and good luck with everything this fall. Can't wait, Dan. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll get through this you know, we're Americans here and we'll all get through it and we'll be hopefully a little stronger on the back end and have an appreciation for everything that you have on a daily basis. So uh, I really appreciate you having me. I appreciate you saying that. And for our listeners, follow all coverage of UMass Lowell as well as 18 other Division One teams at BaseballJournal.com. Ken, thanks again. All right, Dan. We'll talk soon. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform and get updates every time a new podcast drops. Thanks to Dennis Collarin and UMass Lowell coach Ken Herring for joining the pod this week. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast.